What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audio-visual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. It's officially Epiphany. Now, this is very special to me because I actually work at a church called Epiphany. And although that is a fact, I still had to look up what Epiphany kind of purpose it served in the in the liturgical calendar. Um, so in, in kind of my, my brief little like rundown of this, um, I wrote down some notes that say, you know, Epiphany marks an appearance of or specifically the definition of Epiphany means an appearance or manifestation, particularly of a divine being or an illuminating discovery. Ooh, unexpected, perhaps. Um, and then we also have the inclusion of the Gentiles into the salvation story of Jesus, which um, obviously that's that's something we all know, right? They, or maybe not, but um, but on a wider scale, like the inclusion of all people and kind of broadening our scope into, um, yeah, letting people outside the pales into this journey with us. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's a special time coming right out of Advent, coming out of Christmas or going into Christmas. It's all great. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Uh, now I got to do my thing. Josh, how's it going? It is going great, Michael. I just passed all my classes, just got all my grades back and doing I did a lot better than I thought I was going to do. Um, Yay. I don't know if I set too low expectations or whatever, but yeah, all is good. I'm, I'm, there's, we never doubted you for a second. Never. <laughs> Sydney, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. We were talking about my new tattoo that I got. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. So, you know, spent too much money on that. <laughs> That's okay. You get to have it for a long time. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's rather too much than too little. Yeah, that true. That is true. <laughs> oh, that's a very good point. Oh Don't no. Don't trust a cheap tattoo. Oh no. Sam, how's it going? It's going great. Um, I also passed all my classes, but I haven't gotten I have like one more thing before I get like the final confirmation. Like you did it. Good job. Um, uh, but I know I but I know I'm gonna pass. I know I checked beforehand. Ah, uh, so so um, uh, that's so fun because every episode until now we've been like record. It's been like, oh my god, the stress of finals. Oh my god, we're stressed. I'm stressed. I'm tired. And now it's like, we're all flying good. We're doing. We're here. Good. Doing There's awesome. no more classes. I'm just yeah. on campus. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's it's a much more chill energy. There's a lot less at stake right now, which is awesome. Um, so we get to bask in the, in the spirit of the holidays. Uh, with that, Sam, do you want to open us up in prayer? I'd love to open it up in prayer and I'm going to steal your verb bask. Cause that was, that was great. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, dear God, let, let us bask at this time. Let us take a moment to like really enjoy whatever season we're in, whether it's a slower season where things are going down or whether you work in a church and everything's starting to ramp up because we have this big thing called Christmas coming up. Um, as I always say, like bless these words in this conversation that we're able to have and thank you for all the people who joined this space. Um, and I hope it's a good time. I hope we get to bask in this knowledge that we grant each other. How many times can I say bask in a prayer? Amen. <laughs> I'm going to be basking in that prayer for so long. <laughs> but before we continue basking in that prayer, I would love to bask in the New Testament texts. Sydney, can you bask in this? <laughs> All right, this bit's over. Sydney, take it away. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm actually really glad that 
Mike shared a little bit about Epiphany before I started because I feel like that gives a really good context to this scripture as a part of like the liturgical calendar. But anyways, we're working with Ephesians 3. What am I working with? 3, 1 through 12. I promise I, I did read it before. <laughs> um, which is a, Paul talking about how God has anointed him to basically bring the gospel to the Gentiles and um, include the Gentiles as being a part of the same body as the Jews. Um, And it's a really good scripture. I think it's a really good scripture. I think it's an important scripture. And I think that on like the kind of like first read, I think there's a pretty obvious parallel to the work we do as Christians today is continually trying to um, pull up new seats at the table and be inclusive and um, be an accessible space and be a space where everyone can come as they are and feel loved and accepted. And, um, and I think that that is like some of the more important work that Christians can be doing right now. Um, but I also think that there's a really kind of, well, okay. So one thing that really stuck out to me was, um, in verse, I'm trying to find the exact, oh, here it is. Verse five, it says, earlier generations didn't know this hidden plan that God has now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets through the spirit. This plan is that Gentiles would be co-heirs and parts of the same body and that they would share with the Jews and the promises of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I feel like that piece right there is so important, especially because at the end of this text, it goes on to say, um, God's purpose is now to show the rulers and powers in heaven, the many different varieties of his wisdom through the church. This was consistent with the plan, with the plan he had from the beginning of time. And so to me, this scripture, like, that piece of like past generations didn't know this, but now we do. But regardless that past generation didn't know this and now we do, it's still consistent with God's plan. And to me, that is like such an important thing for us to know as Christians who are constantly learning, reevaluating who we think should be in and out, who we think should be included and not included is that there's this impulse, I think, within traditional Christianity to want to cling to tradition so bad. I also think it's like a very Western, like our obsession with written text and our obsession with rules is that sometimes we forget that like we just had it wrong. You know, like sometimes we just had it wrong and we, and we, and we learn and we grow as a culture. And so 
this idea that like it's okay for earlier generations to not understand something and for us to understand it now and for us to hold that at the same time that we can hold that like God isn't changing. Like God has always loved justice. God has always loved inclusion, um, regardless of w- if we're, you know, on the train or not. And so that really stuck out to me with the scripture. Um, and I think like, so whenever we were talking before the recording about epiphany, um, we were talking about like the meanings of epiphany and I kind of had like a really base understanding that like epiphany was about literal epiphanies, like, um, like personal revelations during this time of year and the importance of those in your spiritual journey. And, but I also think that epiphany and like it being marked with this scripture with the inclusion, inclusion of Gentiles is also like cultural epiphany and the importance of cultural changes that we see take place, um, in our, in, in group, in our culture, in our society, um, and the importance of those and making space for culture to do better, um, for us to, you know, as a culture decide we need to be more accessible to people with disabilities as a culture to decide that we need to be, you know, (laughs) more inclusive and to queer people, we need to, you know, be figuring out ways to create racial, like real racial justice in our country. Like, um, that these are the kind of epiphanies that is important to center during this time of year. So that's what I got out of this text. Yeah, Sydney, I think that was a far a far better articulate um, explanation of, of epiphany than I think what I was trying to go for. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this I think this is great. Um, I love I love how that fits into. Um, I I feel like I've said this in every episode, but the way that these sort of attitudes and mindsets factor into the holiday season for me are very special and important because I do think like the holidays are where religious people, I mean, at my church, we call them creasters, like the people that just show up for Easter and Christmas, right? Like there's something about the holidays that do bring about um, this resurgence to like the tradition of religion. Like people are like, oh, tradition says I should be a Christian again, right? Like, and it's so easy for us to fall out of it. And and there, there's no judgment on that. I mean, obviously, New Year's resolutions, we all know that these ebb and flow throughout the year. And we have these new resurgences of um, excitement for things. But while we're here, like while we're in that period of like tradition bringing us all back together, I think it's awesome that we can then talk about the fact, talk about tradition like you're saying and break it down and say like oh well now that we're all here together brought together by this notion of tradition now can we talk about how we can like break it and move forward together since we're all here you know like now that we've got ever now that everybody's paying attention let's let's have these bigger conversations which is um kind of exciting for me and i guess also scary because the two things can seem to contradict each other but i don't know i'll just throw in that in the mix yeah, I just want to build off like what kind of Michael said. This I liked what you talked about, Sydney, when you talked about the tradition versus experience. Um, especially Michael, when you talked about like this Christmas time. Definitely feel 
like, yeah, this is this is kind of center. Like the, the church, I don't want to say the church, but like Jesus has everyone's attention right now as we celebrate his birthday and the day he was born. And to be able to take that attention and all that energy and focus it, um, and just use it for like a, use it for good in that sense. Um, yeah. And then also my, my, my Bible verse talks about this a lot, but about helping the lowly and helping people that you wouldn't usually help. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, yeah. I I love how you broke down this verse, Sydney. And I also love your verse because your verse is like a nicer version of my verse. Um, and I, I just love the New Testament versions of this kind of like uh, the analogy you use that I always think of with the New Testament, of like bringing people to the table and how important that is to make room for that space, especially in an ever evolving definition of what that table is and who's invited. Um, and I, I hate to bring it to my little nerdy pop culture thing, but I'm surprised I haven't brought it to this already. My favorite movie of all time is Trial of Chicago 7. And they talk about exactly what Michael's talking about, where it's this audience, it's this large gathering of people. And they talk about how important it is to use that audience to bring a voice to something. And he says, don't scoff off the importance of cultural revolution, because people are so often obsessed with making sure the rules change and making sure that the that other things change in place so that people can come along. But also when you have that audience, when you have people behind you, yeah, people have to realize what's happening. And people also have to be encouraged to move through that space instead of just shifting the institutions by themselves. So yeah, I, I love what you're talking about. It's a nicer version of my verse. Sam, do you want to roll us right into the not as nice version of Sydney? Yeah. All right. Well, we just had viewers. We just had a great wholesome thing about inclusion um and now we're gonna go to mine <laughs> which is um mine is old testament verse um it's isaiah 61 through 6 now okay before i start knocking on this verse isaiah 61 through 6 is actually not that bad one through six is pretty good one through six starts with this idea of the city of zion which basically at the end of times it's classic old testament proclamation of old times text um and it's saying that the whole world is going to be veiled in darkness except for zion because that is they have like come back uh, into god's favor and they have worked for this and so the whole world will be dark and covered in shadows except for zion which will be this like glistening beacon on a hill and so one through six is about that and it's talking about all these great things that are going to happen to you. Lift up your eyes and look around. They'll gather together around you. You'll have the wealth of nations. Great stuff. I don't mind one through six. The rest of the chapter, I shouldn't have just read the rest of the chapter. That was the biggest problem. Was I decided to continue because the rest of the chapter, for me personally, for me, Sam Siles Williams, leans a little too hard into the Old Testament rhetoric that gets a little dicey because the rest of the text talks about this continuing idea of like this salvation city when the rest of the world will fall into darkness and we will have this one city this is the perfect city this is the old testament idea of like the kingdom of heaven on earth that jesus later turns and flips on its head in text like sydney's um but it's the old testament version of it and i disagree with a lot of the old testament interpretation of it because in this text, they talk about the oppressed group and how it needs to be liberated in this city. And that is part of like the king growing kingdom of heaven is liberating the oppressed. But this text really centers it on the fact that the oppressed will be liberated 
so that they can oppress their oppressors, which, okay, this is where it gets very much into Sam's opinion, because I don't, that is not my kingdom of heaven. Um, I don't understand that concept. I think that Jesus calls for a different kind of liberation, a very similar one to what Sydney was talking about, kind of liberation that's saying we're going to bring people together and we are going to break down the institutions of oppression, but not in a way that creates more institutions of oppression. It's the idea in this text, it almost sounds like the idea of like, we are going to bring you to the table by taking someone else's seat and like pushing someone else away. We are going, they say, I have some of it quoted. They talk about the other kingdoms uh, do, 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 that for the nations and kingdoms that will not serve you shall perish. They will uh, bow before you, bending low to you. All who despised you shall bow down at your feet. So is this what we're saying? Are we saying that this version of the kingdom of heaven, of this perfect utopia, is one that still has institutions of oppression? It's just flipped. Because I personally, I don't, I don't like that. Um, I think the kind of liberation that Jesus calls us to, especially in the New Testament, urges us to dismantle systems of oppression and not build up new ones in its place. The kingdom of heaven is a place where like everybody is free of the shackles of oppression and is free from the institutions that often are holding us down and confining us to things. And so the idea that we're going to destroy all of that and build this sacred city that just oppresses a new group of people, I don't like it. That's just me. I think it's really dicey. I think it can be used to justify some things that aren't great, but also can be used to like silence something. It's, I don't like it. It's dicey. That's just me. Um, but that's also why in like closing, I really like verse 18 of this chapter because while the whole verse or while the whole chapter is very old Testament fire and brimstone, I'm going to destroy everyone who is against you because I want to lift you up. Verse 18 is more of what I understand and what I believe that New Testament idea of righteousness and liberation is. Uh, it says, I will point peace as your overseer and righteousness as your taskmaster. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. I like that. I think that's good. Um, I think the rest of it is a little dicey and I'd love to hear everyone else's opinion of it because I, in short, I don't think that true liberation means that you flip the script of who's being oppressed. I think that the call of Jesus is that nobody should be oppressed and everybody should be on the same level and we shouldn't flip the script and create a new system of oppression because we want to tear the old one down. That's my two cents. I would love to hear what everybody else says with this interesting with this interesting text. Um <laughs> yeah, I think you handled this text really well. Um this is a really this is a hard text to unpack. Um I think that that to me your what you shared about this text reminds me of and I, I feel like I kind of said this, but I guess I'll just be redundant that like the importance of um, acknowledging that a lot of our, what we've inherited in Christian tradition 
our theologies, even our interpretations of the world, right? The way we look at the world, the way we view certain people groups, the way we view da-da-da, is based off of traditional interpretations of scripture, right? Like, we have the scripture, but not only was it written by humans, in my opinion, uh, it it's interpreted by humans. And, and we've been told this is how we read this text and this is what this means for ABC. Um, and to me, epiphany is about the importance of recognizing the our ability to our ability to step outside of those and do better. You know what I mean? Like step outside of the traditions and the things that we've been taught and to relearn sometimes and to do better and to realize that we can also be new, new interpretations can also be revealed. I don't know if I'm making sense. Maybe I'm speaking too cryptically, but, um, and so like, for example, in my text, I think these two texts are two texts pair so well together, but like at the end of my text, it says, in verse um, 12, in Ephesians 3.12, it says, In Christ we have bold and confident access to God through faith in him. Right? So that means that we don't always have to take Old Testament scriptures like this that through via tradition have been interpreted a very specific way and because of power structures have often been, have an agenda, to, to be honest, have a particular political agenda because sadly a lot of, Christian tradition is steeped in white supremacy and political agenda. And we are, I think that it's important for us to recognize that as Christ followers, we have boldness, we have bravery, and we have access to God through our faith. And so um, it's okay for you to read this text and be like, I do not like the way that this text has been interpreted for me. And I feel like it is wrong. <laughs> and that sounds like kind of blasphemous and kind of scary to say sometimes, but like there has to be young voices doing that. There has to be people going, Hey, like, I know that we've been seeing this text this particular way for, for however long. I think it's wrong. I think maybe we need to do some reworking. And so anyways, I just, I, there's so much to say about it, but I think you did a really good job kind of breaking that down. <laughs> And I wanted to tag off of something you said really quickly about like the the history of an analyzing text through like that political lens. Part of this text also feels very like the history is written by the victor, where it's very much like who was in the room writing this? What did they go through? What did their people go through? Who was on top in the power structure when this was written? Because it's like Jesus, all of the text in the New Testament, not all of the text in the New Testament, but a lot of New Testament texts about like that kingdom of heaven mentality feels like it goes beyond groups. It feels like it is that epiphany kind of, we are going to bring these groups together and we are going to have a seat for everyone at the table. And this feels like I was writing this in a position where I thought that God loves me the most and that God wanted my people to succeed. And so we're gonna. And that feels in the in the most academic word i have that feels icky i don't like it <laughs> yeah good good i 
I hear like a lot of you guys are saying it just, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say. Cause I want to like get my own interpretation of this. Like what he says, Cindy, we need like a new interpretation and I don't really have one necessarily. Um, but I just think about the cycle, like Sam Cat touched on this, like there are oppressed and then they oppress their oppressors and then they oppress them and then they oppress them and them and them. And I just think about the cycle. I'm just like, when does this ever stop? And I think like after verse six or maybe after verse seven, you can see it just, this chapter is like so mind boggling to me just because it goes from, you know, happy, happy times with all, it just goes from like light to dark really quickly. Um, I guess that's how the old Testament is sometimes. And I wish I either could totally agree with the interpretations that are like put before us or I had one of my own that makes everything make sense, but I don't. And so, yeah, I don't know if anyone really does of this certain, the words that are being used here. I just, I don't know. It's very like, this This text is like, maybe question things. So we feel a little bit lost. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna like, one, just uh, acknowledge everything you guys said, because I think that there's so much good there. And then I can't help but just stick with this thought in my brain. This is so dumb and so like tangential, but I'm like, I said the word. Um, the the like bibles that are just the new testament and then like psalms or whatever i'm like i'm like man that seems like something that my generation would do because like the old testament is so hard to like grasp onto sometimes and like i mean i hear this countless countless times right that that like my age group is just like yeah old testament i mean we even say it on the show right we get the old testament text and we're like Ugh, you know like man why did i get the hard one you know like like this is like very common for us to say um and i and i do think there's some there's something about the the coming of jesus that that i don't know i just think it's really interesting to articulate that the coming of jesus all of a sudden makes the bible work better for us and like as Jesus being the like God's representation of humanity. I think there's so much to be said for that um, when it comes to Jesus's like restorative power and ability to like fight those oppressive systems. Like, and Jesus is what God's representing as, as humanity, right? For us. I don't know. There's, there's some like really interesting connection there for me of like, all of a sudden we relate more because now there's this humanity, this version of humanity in the Trinity that exists and that is a version that looks out for all people, not just, you know, a certain group. So that's that's all I'll throw in there. <laughs> is that called the Gideon Bible? I don't right. No, that's the hotel one. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know things. Great. I'm going to take, take our break to like research that. Uh, we'll see you guys very soon. I hope you guys had a good break. We sure did. Uh, I've been trying to come up with a segue for a very long time, and I got absolutely nothing. So that's it. We're going to roll right into Josh's psalm text. Josh, you ready? Yes, I am ready. Take it away, good sir. All right. So I had Psalm chapter 72, and this I really like this chapter because 
it's all about leadership. And I just find leadership like interesting. I like reading about it just because it sets like a broad topic and there's so much to it. And so I find it interesting. I don't want to make like a generalization about Psalms because it's like the biggest book in the Bible. Um, but it, typically Psalms is all about like worshiping God and coming before him and, you know, bowing your knees and all that. And so for this to talk about leadership and what a king should do for its people, I just found that very interesting. So for me, what I noticed when I first read this is it talks about a lot about what a king should do and doesn't talk about a lot, a lot about what a king shouldn't do. So I found that interesting. I'm hoping it made sense of that double negative, but it kind of, I referenced Sydney's text. It talked a lot about kind of helping the lowly, helping people that you wouldn't usually help, um, making room at the table, bringing up a seat for them. So all that good stuff. And also it talks about, <laughs> I wrote this down in my notes and just funny that it worked out this way, but it literally says, my translation, uh, the NIV, it says in, in verse four, it says crush the oppressor. So I just find it interesting that through our text today, there's just, like I said, we kind of gone back to the cycle of the oppressed, then oppressing the oppressor. And it's just like that cycle. Um, so that was really interesting for me. And after reading this a couple times, there's a couple things that struck out to me was I'm like, it talks about he talks about guys all the time, talks about the kings. And I'm just like, where the heck are the queens? It doesn't talk about any of the women at all. So that was interesting. And then another thing was, after reading some other analysis, um, it it kind of represents this idea of in order to get close to God, you need to like get close to your king. If your king is like a man of God, if he's close to them. And so that kind of challenges my Protestant views as far as I like the one-on-one relationship with God. I like I don't like the middleman. I like this direct there's God, there's me, there's nothing in between, you know, there's no third party, there's not a triangle. It's just a straight line. Me and God, when I pray to him, he's right there when I need him. And it's not, I don't need to go to someone else to then find God. It's just this direct, he's on the end of the other line. So that was kind of interesting to me that it challenges me. It's like, can I let someone else be, can I let it be a triangle? Um, that challenges me. And then another thing that struck out to me is this is really, it sets the bar pretty high for leadership as far as Kings and just leaders of God's people in this time. And I've read some other analysis that talks about how pretty much everyone failed. Every leader of God's people in this time failed one way or the other. And that this was almost like a prophecy and really spoke to how great Jesus was. It kind of prophesied what he was going to be like. And if you go back and read some of the gospel, this is kind of exactly what he was, exactly what he did. Um, he rescued the oppressed. He took pity on the weak. Um, he delivered people, he delivered the needy who cry out. So that was just interesting to me that it really, this spoke, even in the old Testament, you know, this is many years before Jesus, it spoke a lot to, his mission and his ministry. I really like your interpretation of this text. And I completely agree with the idea of like, it's weird saying that the best way to worship God is through another person, especially somebody who's in like a political office. And while you were talking, I was like sitting here and thinking about like, I'm studying political science up here. I talk about like political theory and who should be in charge a lot. And I was sitting here thinking about like, 
why is this such a common thing where like especially in this time period throughout multiple cultures the idea of like a elected leader or usually not elected but like a king or a leader who is seen as either divine or like closer to god than humanity and it's almost like it feels like a almost like a represent i wrote representative theology instead of a representative democracy where like you have to have who is the person who's in charge so that i can get to god and there's an interesting like weird take that I never thought I would make, but like there is something interesting about the idea of this text where it's saying like, we need to be like, we a good leader is someone who can do that role well. Cause there is such an interesting idea of like, we are, especially in our modern context where we're putting someone in office, putting someone in a position of power because we actually believe that they have that good intent and that they're there to in this case to be closer to god and so i don't like the fact that like in this text it's kind of saying you have to be close with whoever is in charge if they're good but there is something interesting to think about like if you in our modern context as a voter if you were thinking that way who would you put into power if you were saying like who should be in a position where they can make decisions and they are my middleman into a bigger institution how would i want to vote so a U student makes it about politics. Are we surprised? But yeah, I like your text. <laughs> yeah, Josh, it's interesting that you brought this up because I, I do often, I mean, I feel the same way you do. And then I also um, have like some moments where I, I think differently. So like, yeah, the direct line between me and God, that's like so important. And the, and there are most times where I'm like, the thought of a middleman just feels wildly frustrating because then I, it creates the sort of like, well, why, why am I not good enough to, to have the direct line, you know? And then there are other times where, like, I'm also thinking of um, the the beauty in the power of God, right? So, like, if I'm a, like, person way back when, and, um, like, there might, I could see a world where there's something comforting about, like, needing, needing, a, sorry, this is going to sound so wrong because I don't actually, like, fully feel it i'm just recognizing it for other people of like when when you need the middleman or you think you need the middleman then it then it feeds into this idea of the power of god right like oh this is somebody that's so powerful that there are only specific people that can communicate that makes me crave it more because there is something beauty about the power power of god and, and i can see like somebody who's i don't want to say insecure in their faith or something but somebody who needs that extra sort of push to feel the power can like view that sort of indirect thing as like something that strengthens the image of, of God. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I, I think it's, I think it's interesting to be part of that conversation. Um, Cause I don't know. I always have this feeling like it, it for me personally, I'm like, I, I worry about um, like, even when I disagree, I don't want to say that like somebody's wrong for wanting like the middleman. I don't know. I don't know if any of that makes sense. I'm just talking out loud. Um, truthfully, I don't, I don't know enough about that kind of theology to have anything to say about that. I think that in a way, I don't know. I don't want, yeah, <laughs> nothing to add to that, but, um, yeah, I, I think that this text is definitely very like political in the sense that it's like. Um, like a prayer for 
political leadership, um, I guess. And um, I don't love politicians. <laughs> Especially right now, I'm just like, not really into any of them here in America. And um, so I, I think I a really hard time having a lot of hope that they'll get it together and do anything meaningful. Um, and that's not to be so like such a downer and like hopeless, but I, I do think it's um, this text is making, I mean, I guess reflect on um, the ways that I um, should continue to let my faith influence the ways that I, the ways that I engage with, um, I guess, politics and who I'm voting for and who, and what other kinds of things I'm investing myself into, to, um, I guess, I don't know. I guess I'm just on a, a tangent, but yeah, I guess texts like this are really interesting to me. Um, because I'm like, obviously, we don't have kings and stuff like that now. So sometimes it can be kind of hard to relate. But, yeah. Just now, in this moment, hearing you say that, Sydney, I'm like, I'm recontextualizing all the insecurity I feel when I go on a tangent. Because I'm like, isn't that, isn't that like the point of this? Like, if scripture, if scripture sends us on this, these like total other like crosshairs, then I feel like that's important and part of it anyways you know so i don't know i i just like because i i feel this insecurity when i when i do that but now i'm like no maybe that's just because i respect sydney so much i'm like if sydney does it then it's great let's go you know anyways okay i'm, I'm gonna launch this into the gospel text i this is matthew chapter two um so this is actually interesting because i um so this is the the story of like the um the wise men in the bible right the, the part of the nativity that um, that we all know, gold, frankincense, myrrh, you know, the, the vine. I'm not going to get into it, but I think of it all the time. Anyways, um, I, I don't know if I just haven't heard this. I Like all of, all of this, this, these parts of the like Wiseman story, I do remember them, but I guess I just haven't heard them in such a long time that it, it is kind of interesting to like revisit this sort of notion of like, there are the, the wise men from the east. They travel a long way. Herod, it's part of Herod's story, right? Herod um, finds out, Herod knows about this prophecy, and he knows that the wise men are on this journey to go find the, the you know, the king of the Jews or whatever. And um, and he calls them in, and he, and he wants them to report back to him. And then they end up not reporting back to Herod. Um, and then Herod's whole, like, lie. So Herod, Herod says, um, like, uh, where's the newborn who is the king of the Jews? When we were far away in the east, we saw his star. Oh, wait, sorry. No, wrong, wrong part. Uh, where is it? Ah, here it is. Go to Bethlehem, search high and low for the Savior child, and as soon as you know where he is, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. Total lie, right? Wants to kill him, but, but like, lies to the wise. I don't know. I just forgot about the story, which is kind of – and it's very, like – I don't want to say it's theatrical to, like, minimize the, like, weight of the story and the fact that we're, like, talking about, like – the lives of a bunch of children, you know, in, in the regards to the stakes of this, but it's very theatrical in nature. Um, 
And then one of the cool things that I wanted to note, because I didn't know this either, um, that the that the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are very representative and um, part of this sort of uh, prophecy that we go for, right? So gold is what's given to a king. Jesus is the king of kings. Incense is what you expect to be given to a priest. Jesus is the high priest of all high priests. Myrrh, uh, ointment is used to heal, and Jesus is a healer. Um, myrrh is also used to embalm corpses, and Jesus was born to die. So I think that is like so beautiful in fact, in regards to like details that I never had a clue about. Um, but let me get to the actual point that I was going to talk about other than getting nerded out on these facts. Um, I do just get stuck on, on this like lie that Herod tells. Right. So like we have these wise men that are arguably in scripture, not, they're not called wise men because they see through Herod's evil scheme. They're arguably considered wise and respectable men prior to that. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? They're wise men, and then they continue to be wise men because they see through hair. But um, regardless, the part that sticks out to me is this this lie that Herod tells, tells them because they do go about their journey continuing on with that in mind. And then at the very end, it's when they receive a dream warning them not to go back to Herod. Um, and then they heed this this dream from God, and that's what kind of launches us down the whole the whole path um, that we know to continue on as the Jesus story, right? And the reason I think this sticks with me is because, especially as we're talking about um, oppressive systems and and just I don't know, there's there's all these facets about everything, and then I think of um, Josh, what you said about setting the bar high for leadership. And just um, trusting in God's discernment when there is corrupt leadership, something like, like Herod, right? Because I, I have a very hard time trusting my own discernment. And I mean, this, this has been coming up a lot this week for personal things that I won't get into. But like, I do always, I, I'm constantly struggling with like, what is the intent behind the things that I do, the things that I say? Um, and how much does the intent matter? Um, versus the outcome and everything. And I just think having this scripture that I think we can use as a, a, a huge thing pointing to the fact that God's discernment discernment when it comes to leadership and the intent and like corruption and everything can be a really strong thing, but we have to be willing to receive it. Um, so I do think there's a part of these, these wise men that maybe felt a certain way about Herod's instructions. And, and that's what led them to be open to receive God's um, dream that warns them of this corruption and everything. Do you think it saves their lives? Obviously it sends Herod down this horrible path of, um, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, th I think I'll just keep re repeating kind of the same thing over and over, which is trusting God's discernment when it comes to um, the intents of the intents of others because I do think ultimately we want to rest in this idea that everybody has good intentions, like, oh, like make sure you know everybody has good intentions, but that's not always the case. And I, and um, yeah, maybe like, I don't know. I think God will speak that to us. And I do think that's, that's the thing where it's the most important to trust God to say like, Hey, what you're hearing right now is corrupt or what you're hearing now is coming from a really bad place. So we need to like steer clear from it for the safety of us and others. I don't know. That's where I'll leave it. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts on the same scripture. 
Um, yeah, actually, I... You're so right. It's so funny how revisiting scriptures like this can feel so like you know all these details, but then you're reading them and you're like, that all happened right there. Like, you know what I mean? Like in this short scripture, we're given all these things that are like such a big part of like the, our cultural tradition of Christmas. You know what I mean? The star and the three wise men and the, you know, there's all these little plot points. Um, but honestly, I don't have much to add to what you said. I really appreciate your interpretation of it. I think that, um, yeah, there's definitely something to like when confronted by your, the people, the power, I guess, of like integrity and staying true to your convictions and trusting your own intuition um that's all kind of in this story of like you know it's so easy to want to just go with whatever the people who are in power over you are saying to go with but like um that sometimes we have to be brave and we have to not do that um and so or at least we have to trust our intuition and so I think that's a really a really neat interpretation of this scripture. But I also this whole time was like reading it and I recently watched Dune again and something about the Dune movie kind of reminds me <laughs> of like, I don't know why, cause you know, he's like the chosen one or whatever and it's all like deserty. And so I'm like picturing the like Dune music in the background and it's all like ominous. And I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. It is very theatrical. <laughs> Yeah, I like, I also kind of feel like, you know, we kind of, I agree with what you said, Michael, about we, you know, these stories, but you don't really know these stories. Like for me growing up in the church, I've heard this and I kind of, I think I've talked about it before um, in our Sunday meetings for the interns, but I hear these stories as a kid and I just think they're stories. They didn't, they're not actually fact. I think they're more fiction. And I'm like, no, this is like history account, historical account. Like this really did happen. Um, so that's kind of crazy to me. And I just think about, for me, it's like, wow, Jesus really does relate with us as humans and like people who are oppressed, people going through tough times because he was literally born and like someone immediately tried to kill him. Like he knows what it's like. This speaks a lot to, I guess, his humanity, I guess, and like the tough times he's going through. And then also think about my scripture that we just read and about how why I object, I guess we, I guess I don't want to speak for all you guys, but how like it was hard for us to let someone um, be the middleman between us and God. Because when we think of Kings, especially here in America, when we're capitalists and, you know, we have democracy, we, we hear the word King. We think about King Herod and start first think about a good King who does uh, follow the will of God and is like all those things that my, uh, the Bible, the verse that I read in Psalms was. So I think that's interesting. I'll share, I'll sh share my like on topic smart thing first, and then I'll say what I really want to say about this text, because I really like the interpretation talked about like the theatricality of all this, because like, not only is it that that audience oh oh dramatic irony that's the word i figured it out not only is it that dramatic irony of like 
he's looking for this this king and I'm going to take him down and usurp make sure he doesn't usurp my throne and like we as the audience know it's the baby but also the idea of what you talked about with the gifts of like this class it's become now a literary tool because of the bible but like this idea of this child who is born to lead but also born to die and like the fact that his gifts represent how he will be a leader but also is kind of destined to die like it's so larger than life epic novel um and it's interesting to think about like how it comes from this and like how our heroes journeys come from this um and how the theatricality of the original tale has influenced everything that's come after that's my smart person thing now to be completely honest when we talk about like we hear these stories all the time i spent half of you talking going down an internet rabbit hole because I was thinking about in VeggieTales, bear with me for a second. In VeggieTales, there's the three scallions. And I was like, that's in David and the Lion. I'm confused. Or Daniel and the Lion. Oh, I see, I didn't even know. I was like, that's in Daniel and the Lion. But it's three of them. And I think they call them the wise men. And I went down a whole rabbit hole of like, are these the same wise men? Is this supposed to be the same story? It's not. Um, I looked it up. <laughs> I was wrong from the beginning. But like, we talk about knowing these stories. I really thought for a second that one, not only are these the same characters because it's three wise men, but also thought of them as vegetables from VeggieTales. Um, they sing a great song in Daniel and the Lion. If you guys haven't known, look it up. You don't know how many Bible stories play out in my head as vegetables because of freaking VeggieTales, y'all. I don't my siblings used to knock me on the shoulder and be like, hey, this is this VeggieTale cartoon. And I'd be like, oh, I know this story. <laughs> like front row of church. My gosh. Yeah, he's a pea. <laughs> Anyways. Because um, he has okay. hair. <laughs> I'm going to go rewatch VeggieTales now. Anyways. Okay. Um, Sydney, would you like to close us in prayer? Yeah. Um... God, thank you so much for this time together um, and for another day alive, another day breathing. Um, I pray that we would just enter the rest of our day with um, gratitude um, for everything that we have um, and into this holiday, or I guess we're exiting the holiday season, but just with gratitude for everything. Um, and God, I pray that as we continue to engage with scripture, you would give us the boldness to um, trust our, our relationship with you, our personal relationship with you, um, our intuition, um, that we would be more and more um, aligned and that you know, we could continue to have epiphanies, have revelations, move the church forward in a meaningful way, continue to challenge the institutions, be more inclusive, right the wrongs of past generations, um, and that we would do that with you at the center, with love at the center, um, and yes, that you would just give us the bravery and the courage to do that. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Josh, Sam, Sydney. What a good episode. I know it, it's it's been tough, but it's been good. 
we love it um thank you guys so much as always uh and thank you guys for watching this has been studio wesley annex see you next time <laughs>